Good morning. Welcome to, as many of other people have welcomed you, Hope Chapel, uh, in our new kind of location down here. I, uh, we made this switch actually like three weeks ago, but we've been inside the past couple weeks because of weather, so it's our first time officially out here. Um, and it's nice. So thank you for flexing with us, whether we're inside, we're outside, whether we're up there, we're down here. I really appreciate it. Y'all have been very flexible. Last week, uh, Todd continued our sermon series, Walking Through Exodus. And he started chapter 5 for us, and uh, we saw that Moses and Aaron followed God's call. And, and he went to Pharaoh, requested that Pharaoh let Israel go worship in the desert for a few days. And Pharaoh responded by making the life of the Israelites even worse and harder. He doubled their workload. Um, and this morning, in these just a few verses, we're going to finish chapter 5. And we're going to see an exhausted and defeated Moses go back to God. And he questions him. And what we're going to talk about this morning is questioning God. And whether or not God welcomes the questions of his people. So in July of 2015, Andre and I flew to a town in North Carolina to interview for a job as the associate pastor of a church. And um, the church was community-oriented. They valued the opinion of their people. So because of that, the interview process was very different than um, a lot of uh, uh, church pastor searches. Um, I didn't meet with a committee or the session of elders or, or just the staff for interviews. Rather, Andre and I met with almost every single congregant in the church. I'm talking, of course, about Hope Chapel. Um, my interview process here was like uh, anything that I've been a part of before, and, and I did meet with the staff and with the elders. They did their due diligence on an in, institutional level. Michael and Todd even flew out to St. Louis, where I was for seminary. So you know, th- there was definitely the institutional stuff. But the weekend I came and interviewed, I spent the majority of the time with you, the congregants of Hope Chapel. I went back and uh, looked at the schedule that Todd emailed me uh, before I, I got here, and uh, it was a lot. I remember being overwhelmed with how many different people and ministries and groups I was going to meet with during the process. And, and the weekend came, uh, and I went from meeting to meeting, and it wasn't easy. It was exhausting. Um, we fielded question after question. Some were about our marriage, about our future goals. Some were about theology. Some were about doctrine. At the end of the day, um, at all of it, the first day, Andre and I were staying at Jim and Annette Osborne's house, and when we got back to their house, um, they, they gave us this great kindness, which was just to hand me a drink, and we sat on the couch, and we didn't talk, and we just sat there and, and sipped on a drink in quiet, and it was such a kindness to me. Um, I don't forget that, Jim. I'll tell you this, though. The questioning and meeting with countless people wasn't easy. It was exhausting, but man, I loved it. Andrea and I loved it. We love being able to talk about the calling God placed in our lives. We love talking about the different ways we felt led and gifted to do ministry. We love thinking about the hard questions. We loved passionately talking about maybe the easier questions. I loved it because it gave us an opportunity to let the people of Hope Chapel know who I was and who Andrea was. I loved it because also your questions showed me your heart. I loved it because it was a group of earnest, kind, authentic people who wanted to know who this guy was that was going to come be a pastor at their church. So your questioning allowed me to get to know you and for you to get to know me. It established this relationship between us 
um, a depth of relationship that I'm very thankful for, even five and a half years later. Questions, questioning people done in good faith should always be welcomed. And this is more true of God than anyone. We have, a, we have a God who welcomes the questioning of his people. We have a God who's not afraid of our questions, big and small. We have a God who isn't afraid of the questions that we bring before him. And I do truly believe that he welcomes them. And he does because when we come before him with our questions, we make ourselves vulnerable before him. We make ourselves open to him. We bear our souls before him when we are honest about the deepest questions of our hearts and souls. But I think even more than that, when when times get tough or when we experience suffering, as Moses and the Israelites did, when things go from bad to worse, or when maybe you're even obedient to God and his will and his way and it goes poorly, I think it's especially then that God wants us to come before him and bring our questions and longings before him because this is what moses and aaron did they they did exactly what god told them to do and they got punished and they didn't just get punished the israelites did their their work was doubled so moses asked god the same thing we ask often in our hearts right maybe we don't ask it publicly or we don't say it to one another but in our hearts we do right we say why god why did you allow this to happen where are you perhaps one of the most honest lines of questioning that Moses does to God in this whole little kind of segment that we've been going through the past um, couple weeks. But I do think God welcomed, at least in part, some of his questioning. I think he welcomes yours. So this morning, take a moment, survey your heart. Where are you feeling that you need to come before God in your confusion and your longings and your suffering and your questioning before him? This year has been a year of confusion, right? We lived through a pandemic during an election year. There's constantly seen to be more questions than answers. And I wonder if some of you have actually given your heart and your mind space to actually bring them before God. And I wonder if we we don't do this because we're we're afraid of the answer. Or perhaps we're afraid that if we ask the questions we have, um, then the confusion or the question becomes too real when we put it into words. Or some of you have been Christians for so long that you've become apathetic to even your own questioning. You think you either have all the answers to any potential questions you have, you explain it away with theology or uh, it's not worth asking, or perhaps you don't actually care enough to bring them before him. But this morning, all of us are in that place at least somewhere or we've been through major seasons of it this morning i want to remind us through moses example that god isn't just okay with our questions but he welcomes them and we're going to see this two reasons why he welcomes them the first godly questioning leads to relational intimacy rather than relational distance so when we bring questions before god actually it creates relational intimacy not distance and then second godly questioning leads to relational knowledge rather than a posture that blames God and his character. So relational knowledge, not God, uh, blaming God's character. So first, relational intimacy. Verse 22 says this, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? So how do we get to this point? Well, if you weren't here last week, Todd went over the events of chapter 5. Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel went to Pharaoh and 
And they ask him if they could go to the wilderness to worship for three days, just like God instructed them to do. And Pharaoh got upset. He was outraged. They were his slaves, his property. Property doesn't make requests, right? So here's what Pharaoh did. He doubled their workload. He said, no longer will you be given straw for the bricks you have to make. You have to go find the straw yourself. And I'm going to keep your quota of bricks the exact same. So go find the straw, and you have to make the same amount of bricks. That's how you're going to be punished for this. And this was infuriating for the Israelites. They had been obedient, or at least up to uh, just that request was exactly what God had instructed them to do. And not only had God not delivered his people when they made that request, Pharaoh actually had made life worse for them. Things were going from bad to worse, and so... uh, Where was God? He was supposed to intervene, right? And so Moses goes and asks him this. He says, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me if you weren't going to do anything? Where are you? Two very honest questions. And later this morning, we'll spend some time talking about how Moses' questions are actually sinful and not the model we'll we'll, we'll, uh, want to embody when we question God. But here, I actually think he begins correctly it's actually very powerful because the first thing that he does is that he returned to the lord when things went bad from bad to worse moses chose to come to god it seems that he's learned something over all these interactions with god right he met god at the burning bush god revealed to him his name and his identity he made himself even vulnerable to moses by giving him that he showed him his holy character and because of this moses knew That when things went wrong, he could return to God. And this is what he did. But also, the way he questioned God is helpful for us. Because the first way that he questioned God was not on his behalf, but on the behalf of his people. So the people that Moses was charged to lead and rescue, that's who Moses questioned God about first. He said, why have you done evil to this people that you had promised to save? And then, after that, he brought his own suffering into it. So what about you this morning? When things go from bad to worse, where do you turn? Where do you go? Too often, we, when we face hardships or suffering or brokenness, we turn to the world or to people or to vices or to hobbies, anything to numb us, but we don't turn to the Lord. Moses turning to the Lord first shows that he had this relational depth and equity that is required of a son or daughter of the Most High. And, you know, funny enough, who we see does this poorly is the Israelites. Because when their workload gets doubled, they don't go to Moses and ask him what was going on. They didn't cry out to God and say, what are you doing? They went to Pharaoh. They went to the world. They went to their enslaver. And he laughed at them. And we do this too, right? When, when things go wrong or poorly for us, we go to the wrong person or the wrong thing, and it always turns out badly for us. But true intimate relationship with God says this, when things go from bad to worse, whether it's through our own sin or sin done to us or the brokenness of the world, a person with a true intimate relationship with the, world, with the Lord always comes to him first. And it's not afraid to ask the hard questions of God because we, as his children, feel safe to ask him those questions. But the danger is truly for us to be like the Israelites. It's to go somewhere else. 
And when we do this, we treat God like he's distant or far from us, not willing to entertain our doubts and, and our suffering. And because we treat him this way, it self-perpetuates, right? Because we treat him like he's far away, it feels like he's far away. But I think the most important part of bringing our deepest longings and questions of our heart to God is it brings our raw emotions to him. Often the deepest questions of our hearts and our minds actually are are the deepest feelings of our hearts. And our good and loving Father, he wants all of us. He wants those deep-seated questions about his work in the world, about why bad things are happening to your friend or your family or yourself. He wants it. He wants it laid before him because that's the type of relationship that we can have with him, a real one. One that is layered without, with questions, with doubts, and with emotions. Not one that is shallow and inauthentic. So true relational intimacy comes when we are laid bare before God. And we receive his love. And that's true of actually interpersonal relationships too, right? True intimacy and relationship comes when we're laid bare before someone. And they see all of us and still choose to love us. So without you bringing your questions to God, how are you going to be laid bare before him? How are you going to receive his love? Will you, this morning, allow yourself to be that vulnerable with him and open to him, bringing those deepest questions of your hearts before him? And if you do, watch him move towards you, receive his grace, watch him handle the totality of your personhood with love and kindness. You see, we have a God who welcomes our questions because we have a God who wants our emotions he wants our rawness and our vulnerability so don't hold yourself back from that this morning bring it to him and receive his love and his kindness and his grace to you this is why god welcomes our questions it does lead to relational intimacy not distance but it also leads us to a deeper knowledge of his character when our tendency is actually to blame him Because you would think, moving on to our second point, that after all this time, Moses would know and trust God, right? You would think that he had seen and heard it all, and uh, all the things that have been revealed to him over these first four chapters that we've been going through the past couple months. And you would even think, with him feeling safe enough to return to God first and question him on behalf of the people first, um, that he would get it. But I do want to make a distinction this morning Uh, between godly questioning and ungodly questioning. And we see an example of both in here. Moses leads with good godly questioning and finishes with ungodly. In verse 23, Moses steps over this line. He says, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, Pharaoh has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is where Moses turns wrong in his questioning. He begins to blame God slander his character in the divine name that he had given him when i was um going through ordination one of the things that you have to do is um preach uh in front of all of the pastors in the presbytery um which is a lot of fun um (laughs) when you do it you have to get critiqued by someone right by a, a pastor that's on the ordination committee um in front of all those pastors it's scary, but not nearly as scary as the oral examination that i had to do um where they can ask me any question theologically biblically or personally But you have to turn in a manuscript before you preach this sermon before the Presbytery, right? And so that the person can critique you and not miss anything. 
Now, being the wise and smart uh, potential pastor that I was, I sent my manuscript to Todd to make sure that I didn't say anything wrong and crazy. And Todd's uh, further al- way further along and wiser in this line of work than I am. And so it was the right move. And he read through it all and came back to me and said, all oh, this is really good. You're going to do great. But take out this piece that said that you don't believe in your sinfulness, that God loves you. And me and him didn't really talk about it a lot. I just was like, okay, yeah, great, I'll take it out, I don't care. (laughs) I was like, I want to just make sure I get through this smoothly. And sure enough, when I preached it, during the critique, the guy brought it up. Because he said, uh, in the application of your point, you mentioned that you felt like God didn't love you. I'm glad you didn't say it, but I saw it in your manuscript, so I'm glad that you took it out. He said, God has been revealed to us in Scripture that he is love. And to deny that, to say that he isn't, is sinful. And I find that this passage brings up that sentiment, actually. Now, yes, sometimes we feel like God doesn't love us, so don't hear what I'm not saying. Sometimes we feel that he's distant, yes. Often our sin makes us feel that way, unlovable, uh, unapproachable, of course. But for us to believe that God doesn't love us, or to believe that God isn't loving, is sinful, because it denies his character, It denies who he has revealed us to be. That's the distinction there. When we question the character of who God has been revealed to us in Scripture, we sin. And this is what Moses does. Moses, who should have known better. Moses, who questioned God um, rightly first, does it now in a faithless and ungodly way. He says, I came to speak to Pharaoh in your name. The name that spoke of God's sovereignty, his power, and might, his relational closeness. Moses is saying, I took that name to Pharaoh, and he laughed at me. And he blamed God. He said, it's your fault. Because I did what you told me. Pharaoh has made the suffering of your people worse. You haven't done what you promised. You see, Moses' questioning here wasn't used to understand and know God better. It wasn't to cry out to God, try to figure out what went wrong. He just blamed him. And we do this, right? Often when we experience suffering, it's, it's easy for us to denounce or decry who God has said he is in Scripture. To blame him for the wrong that's happening in our lives and the world. So by way of application, let's look at two ways that we can question God, the corrective to this. That actually leads us to a deeper knowledge of his character rather than blame shifting. It's two ways. We can question God without invalidating his character. And we can question God without invalidating the feelings and trauma of ourselves and others. So, we can question God without invalidating his character. One thing that's consistent in scripture is the perfection of God. I would argue that this is the basis of everything that we believe as Christians. Because if this is compromised, everything is. And scripture never contradicts this. Exodus 34 tells us that God is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Matthew 5, we're called to be perfect as God is perfect. Deuteronomy 32 calls God the rock. And he says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright. 1 John 4, anyone who does not, know, does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son 
into the world so that we might live through him. Throughout scripture, time and time again, we're shown the perfection of God, the goodness of his character. And the depiction of God and his work is, is incredibly consistent throughout. But every single time that God's people turn away from this and say that his character isn't consistent, that he isn't perfect, that he isn't goodness, that he isn't loving, it goes poorly for them. You can look all throughout scripture and see it. Because our God is holy. So this morning, whatever you're going through, wherever you're experiencing the brokenness of the world, it's actually, this is actually an encouraging thing. Reach out to God. Cry out to him. Ask him why it's happening. Lament, but do it with the full knowledge that our God is good, that he is powerful, that he is holy, that he is perfect. This is the most consistent thing about him. That God is love, justice, holiness, goodness, and power. We are able to cry out to God without questioning that inherent character of his. But the second thing is we can question God while still affirming his sovereignty, his perfection, and love without invalidating our own experiences and others. Often, people come before God wanting space to question, and they're shut down by their fellow Christians who immediately go to this piece, who immediately go to his character, right? Here's how this has played out a lot lately. Um, there are a lot of Christians questioning a lot of things right now. Why is God still allowing the pandemic to continue? Why has the election season been so vitriolic and anxiety-inducing? Why are Christians fighting and so divided with one another? Why has this past week been the way that it is? And here's a sentiment that I've seen often. It's this idea that no matter what, Jesus is sovereign, or Jesus is on the throne. And this is true, right? Tonight, to, to deny it is sinful. This is exactly what I just talked about. But to invalidate someone's feeling or experiencing his, their experience by using Jesus' sovereignty and that rhetoric is sinful as well. Just because Jesus is sovereign doesn't mean that many people have really struggled with the misinformation and confusion that they've struggled with in 2020. Just because Jesus is sovereign doesn't mean that the results of the, of the election or the past week haven't been very difficult, anxiety-inducing, and frustrating for some. When someone loses a baby or if a loved one died of COVID this year or if someone is going through a darkness or depression, we don't just tell them that Jesus is sovereign, right? No, we listen to them. We meet them in that place. We hear them. We help them bring their lament and questions before the Lord. We don't invalidate their feelings or their experiences. So remember this going forward. It really is easy for us to jump to doctrine or theology and use it as a bludgeon for someone's experience or emotions or hurt or brokenness. But church, we can't do that. Because we can do both. We can give people space to question God in a godly way while also upholding his sovereignty and holding both of those two things in tension with one another. And if we do, we will grow in the knowledge of God and his character. We will understand his goodness more. We'll understand his love better. We'll have a deeper understanding of his character. Um, Ayana Zaria on Twitter really drives this sentiment home this week. She, she tweeted out a lot of these sentiments and ended it with this. To behold Christ in all his glory and his authority is to know he is kind enough to know our plight. 
He tells the truth about the way things are, but also invites us to him while he sits on his throne. Walking and chewing gum, you can do that at the same time, right? So is trusting the authority of Jesus and being candid about the dark forces that seek to press up against the kingdom. Right questioning to God without blaming him or decrying his character, but also by giving space to real, lived experience and hurt. That is how we will grow in a deeper knowledge of Christ, his sovereignty, his kindness, and his kingdom. And God welcomes those questions. So will you allow yourself to bring them to him this morning? Um, I don't think I'll ever answer as many questions in a weekend as I did when Andre and I came to interview here. But man, it really was the right thing. You genuinely wanted to know who this guy and who this woman from Charleston were that would come up here to be a pastor. And I think we're all better for the depth and thoroughness of that weekend. Many of you weren't here during that time. Um, and uh, I've gotten to know you through, one, one of my favorite things to do is I get to meet with a lot of people in my work. And a lot of that is them asking me questions about Hope Chapel or myself or my family and me getting to do the same. Questions is how we build trust, how we build relationship with one another. And there's a rich tradition in scripture of God's people crying out to him. The heroes of the faith have always brought their questions before God, broken down and hurting, laid bare. It's what Abraham did when his wife was barren for decades. He asked, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless in Genesis 15? It's what Job did when he lost everything he had. He said, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? It's what David did when he was surrounded by enemies. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble in Psalm 10? It's what Jeremiah did when he was put in jail for preaching God's word in Jeremiah 20. It's what John the Baptist did when he was tempted to doubt whether Jesus was actually the Christ in Matthew 11. And it's what Jesus did in the day of his trouble when he was laid bare and dying on a cross for our sins. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ on the cross with the weight of the sin of the world on his back with your sin and with my sin, all the depravity that breaks all of good's creation on his back, he cried out to God. And he felt all the things that we feel because of our sin. Distant, broken, far off, but he turned to the Lord. And he cried out. And God responded in kind. He didn't leave him in his brokenness and in the suffering and death. No, he raised him again and defeated it. He raised him to glory at the right hand where he sits right now. And this is our hope and our questioning, that in our confusion, in our lack of understanding, that Jesus Christ will return one day and set all that is wrong right again, that he will bring his kingdom of goodness and love and shalom back here on earth as far as the curse is found. So in our questioning and in our suffering, we can have hope because God isn't far, he's with us. He isn't silent, he's speaking, he isn't defeated, he's the king. And he isn't de distant, he cares deeply for you. So this morning, bring your questions, your confusion, your longings to him, because he welcomes them. But more than that, he welcomes you into his arms. Amen.